and welcome to the latest edition of Tech UK's podcast on scaling digital tech business in the Asia Pacific, developed in partnership with the Digital Trade Network. My name is Jana Psarska, I'm Policy Manager for International Trade at Tech UK, and I'm your host of today's podcast. The APAC region plays an important role in establishing the UK's global leadership in digital trade. The region is home to Singapore, Australia and New Zealand, countries breaking ground in digital trade, and to some of the fastest growing digital markets and tech ecosystems in the world. With 65% of the world's middle class set to be in the Asia-Pacific by 2030 and uh, ASEAN's potential to enter the top five digital economies in the world by 2025, it is important for UK tech businesses to start building commercial networks in these fast-growing markets. In today's episode, we will explore export opportunities for UK tech businesses in the Asia-Pacific and discuss how to successfully scale digital tech business in the region. We have some great guests from the Department for International Trade, Babylon Health and Yoti. For the first part of today's podcast, I'm delighted to be joined by Natalie Black, Her Majesty's Trade Commissioner for Asia-Pacific. We will be discussing the importance of APAC to the UK's digital agenda, opportunities for UK tech businesses in the region, and the support Department for International Trade provides to new and existing tech exporters. Welcome, Natalie. It's great to have you with us. Hi, Jana. Thank you so much um, for inviting me to join you. I'm really looking forward to this today. Just to set the scene for our further discussion, uh, let us start with exploring the importance of the region to future UK trade strategy. We heard many references to the Indo-Pacific tilt in the last few months, the integrated review. And uh, for those listeners not familiar with the review, it's a, it's a document which identifies the UK's foreign policy priorities for the next decade, highlighted the importance of this part of the world to the UK's economic interests. Can you tell us more about the Indo-Pacific tilt and what it means for digital tech businesses? Of course. And, and firstly, can I start by saying a big thank you to Tech UK. It's fantastic that you're shining a light on this part of the world for all the reasons that we're going to talk about today. Um, firstly, of course, it's important to explain what we actually mean by the Indo-Pacific. So we're talking from India to Australia. And my job is particularly to focus on Asia Pacific within that. And I'll, I'll talk about that in a bit more detail as we go along. But the reason why we have focused on the Indo-Pacific is because for the next 20, 50, 60 years, this is the part of the world which is going to be absolutely at the centre of some of the biggest issues we know that we're going to have to grapple with, from climate change to issues and opportunities with technology, of course, a big theme of today. And the UK is focused on strengthening our position across the whole spectrum of issues that we know we are going to have to tackle. But in particular, we want to strengthen our position as a science and technology superpower. 
So when we look at the Indo-Pacific, we're looking for opportunities to grow partnerships that will support investment, expansion of our businesses, and of course, attracting the very best businesses across Indo-Pacific into the UK. And one of the ways that we've done that within my team uh, at the Department for International Trade is through the development of uh, the Digital Trade Network. This is a van brand new innovation where we are bringing the very best of the UK's expertise in technology out here to the region. I'm talking to you from Singapore, and we are supporting British businesses as they grow and expand in this part of the world, but more than happy to talk more about that. Thank you. Asia Pacific is embracing digital revolution. Uh, the region is well known for its large tech customer base, but is also a hotbed of digital technology innovation. Despite this, many UK tech exporters are discouraged by challenging regulatory landscape and digital market access barriers in some of these markets. In your view, why should UK tech companies think about doing business in APAC? Well, of course, I think it's always worth saying I'm a little bit biased, right? Because I'm, I'm sat out here and of course it's part of my job to make sure that British businesses look um, to this part of the world. But I think it's worth bearing in mind some of the objective um, data points that we can look at. So first of all, Asia Pacific is a population of 1 billion people. It's 15% of the world's GDP. And it really is the home of the rising stars that will drive the future growth of the world economy. We've got four members of the G20 and six of the top 20 countries for ease of doing business are out here in this region. If we just look at Southeast Asia alone, so this is countries like Indonesia, Thailand, Vietnam, last year, um, it adopted 40 million new internet users. So it now has a population of 400 million users, which is the same size as the US, but they're very, very different um, because this market is so underserved. If you just look at uh, financial services, for example, three quarters of that 400 million people arguably don't have the access to financial services that they want. And that's why there's been a growth in uh, fintech in this part of the world in particular. But I know that we're gonna hear from a couple more people today who have identified those gaps in demand and supply, which the UK is ready to fill. And I think it's worth emphasizing this is not just about business to consumer, but there's a lot of opportunities for B2B collaboration as well. And we've seen a real uptake in that actually during the pandemic. There's lots of businesses move online and they're looking for more support in a whole range of different sectors. So our job as the UK government is to help grow and develop the market and tackle some of the market access issues that um, you've alluded to, Jana, but also help source great quality investment for British businesses that want to grow out here and facilitate partnerships. And again, I think we'll hear a bit more about that later on. That's great. And I'm sure we have encouraged some of our listeners to start thinking about doing business in the region. You mentioned the digital trade network earlier. And I remember that a couple of weeks ago at the UK APAC digital trade event organized by Tech UK and the Digital Trade Network to mark the launch of the UK APAC Tech Forum, you mentioned, Natalie, that the DTN supported over 120 UK scale-ups in the region in the first six months of 2021 alone. That's a high number of companies. 
How does the digital trade network support new and existing tech trade and investment in the region? Oh, well, you're being very kind um, because it's great that you've uh, spotted um, how quickly we've moved in terms of delivering real-world impact through the digital trade network. It has only been a year, so we are still learning and we're always interested in feedback. So I very much hope that through the new uh, Tech UK, UK Asia Pacific Forum, that we will hear a lot from your members in terms of what they want to see from the digital trade network. Um, but I think the thing that I'm most proud of is the fact that of the 120 businesses that you mentioned, half of them are from outside the southeast in the UK. So geographically, we've been supporting a wide range of companies who are interested in coming out to this part of the world. And so exactly what kind of things do we do for them? So it might be a, a case of helping with market access issues, so potentially licensing. Uh, or concerns around uh, data transfer and uh, IP management. Um, uh, I know that the couple of other guests that you have on today, uh, we've worked extensively with across Asia Pacific, um, particularly um, Babylon. I've uh, had the pleasure actually of um, being at the launch event for um, Babylon's partnership with Prudential in Malaysia, but seeing their great work in Indonesia and um, uh, Singapore. And it's that kind of partnership work, which I think we can uh, help quite often ex explain uh, some of the market dynamics out here, explain how best to pos uh, position and pitch, but also provide introductions. So that would move me on to investment. Um, one stat which I think is really interesting in terms of uh, Asia Pacific is that 25%, so a quarter of the top spending R&D companies in the world are based in Asia Pacific. And more often than not, they look back to the UK for our strength in innovation, and they're looking for the next big thing. And often that's where I think we can see very exciting collaborations. Um, and lastly, I'll just mention one of our other new initiatives under the banner of the Digital Trade Network, and that's the Digital Economy Agreement that we're negotiating with Singapore at the moment. Now, this is the very first time that an Asian economy and a European economy are negotiating a Digital Economy Agreement. And the aim here is to make it easier for our respective digital businesses uh, to collaborate and to cooperate and to shape some of the rules of the road for the economy of the future. Um, we all know, you know, we're preaching to the converted how important um, it is to get these things right. And there's a lot of learning that we can do from out here in Asia Pacific that we are using back in the UK. And of course, we hope to bring some learning from the UK out here to Asia Pacific. Let me just touch uh, on the UK-Singapore DEA negotiations. Uh, you mentioned, Natalie, uh, at Tech UK, we were very pleased uh, to see the launch of uh, UK-Singapore Digital Economy Agreement negotiations as, as Singapore is one of the frontrunners in digital trade policy uh, and its digital economy agreement with Australia is one of the most advanced digital trade agreements in the world. Similarly, we welcome uh, UK-Japan FTA as it locked in some of the most advanced digital trade provisions we advocate for uh, in our digital trade report. Um, let me just now move to our final question. Um, although this session is focused on scaling tech business in the Asia-Pacific, uh, we have a number of digital tech companies based overseas uh, who may be interested in hearing more about the UK's tech ecosystem. What are the UK's tech strengths? 
That's a, a great question. And one of the things that surprises me when I'm sat out here, not only in, in Singapore, but before the pandemic, when I used to travel extensively across the region, is how little is known actually about the strength of the UK tech ecosystem. Sometimes I think we're a little bit British about this and, and maybe we're a little bit too uh, quiet and subtle about um, our great strengths. Um, it's worth remembering that we have four of the top 10 universities in the world in the UK. The fact that we are, of course, English speaking, we have the English uh, system of law makes a big difference um, when you are growing what you hope to be a global business. You know, we provide a fun, uh, absolutely fantastic base um, to then go global. Uh, but we're also now ranked third in the world for uh, venture capital investment after the US and China. And we have more unicorns. I know a controversial measure, but if this is one of the measures that you like to use, we have more unicorns than anywhere else in the world. But I think the most important thing, and I, I hope that Mabasha and Madhu will um, agree with me when you, you come to them later, is the strength and support of our tech ecosystem. It's the fact that you are around so many interesting and exciting people and organizations from all around the world. You can learn from, collaborate from, you know, everyone pushes them, each other a little bit harder. Um, I think that really ultimately is the strength of the UK tech ecosystem. And doing my job, one of the really exciting things to see out here is when you see the collaboration between the UK tech ecosystem and what's happening out here. So if I just pick a couple of examples, you know, if you look at Indonesia, just this week, it's announced its uh, seventh uh, unicorn, and I'm forever being asked about opportunities in Indonesia. I think that's one of the countries to watch. And uh, when I used to uh, give uh, talks to young people, for example, in Indonesia, um, about what they might want to do when they grow their business, they were always so surprised to hear more about the UK tech ecosystem. So what I hope to see over the coming years is collaboration between our very, very strong tech ecosystem in the UK, but the growing one out here. And that's when you do really exciting global businesses. Thanks, Natalie, for joining us today. In the second part of today's podcast, we will be discussing the best practices of scaling tech business in Asia-Pacific and the pitfalls to avoid when operating in the region. I'm delighted to be joined by Madhu Nori, Chief Product Officer and Global Commercial Director at Yoti, and Mobasher Bhatt, Managing Director for APAC and Global Medical Vice President at Babylon Health. Welcome both. Good morning. Thanks very, thanks very much. Great to be on, on the podcast today. Before we get into the discussion, it would be great if you could give us a bit of a background about your role, company, and provide an overview of countries you currently operate in in the region. So, Madhu, shall we start with you? Uh, sure, Yana. Um, uh, YOT is a digital identity platform uh, based in London, and we believe that identity has global applicability and the products and services that we develop allow businesses to easily verify their consumers and partners so that there is a heightened sense of trust in the overall ecosystem. Uh, while we're based in UK, uh, we have presence across the world because we believe that identity certainly is applicable across industries across the world, and uh, we're making investments in that direction. Thank you. 
Mop, can I go to you next? Uh, yes, of course. Uh, so uh, my role here in Singapore, which is where I'm based, is to focus on our growth here in Asia Pacific. And um, in terms of Babylon, we're a global healthcare organization uh, where we're using uh, the best of new technologies such as AI and machine learning and coupling those with world-class human expertise to improve health outcomes. Um, we launched Babylon in April 2014. Uh, I joined as uh, employee number 10, so when we were just a small startup in London. And obviously since then, uh, we've grown a lot. Uh, we've got a bold mission, that's to provide accessible and affordable healthcare and put it into the hands of everyone on earth. Um, and as I mentioned, since we uh, launched, um, you know, we really have had uh, uh, huge growth um, uh, across the globe. Um, but just to give you a sense of that, you know, from the days of starting, we're now um, covering more than 24 million people globally. Uh, we're serving a patient every five seconds. Um, and here in Asia, we have 2 million users of our technology uh, in partnership um, with Prudential. Thank you both. When looking at international expansion, there are a lot of factors to consider, such as existing operating conditions, a clear addressable demand for your product, regulatory environment, or even competitive landscape. How did you decide that you were ready to expand into new markets in first place? And what led you to choose the markets you are currently active in the APAC region? Oh, uh, sure. Um... So I joined UOT back in 2016, at which point in time we were primarily focused in the UK. We were solving issues of identity verification here. And as we know, the UK standards for digital identity and trust frameworks are you know, pretty high bar really. And we've worked very closely with you know, the, uh, the DCMS trusted digital identity framework and you know, the GPG45, which are all things that are driven to um, help companies comply with the high standards of identity. Now, when we looked outside the UK, uh, which is one of the reasons I came to the company to be able to help drive expansion globally, we looked at the digital identity framework across the world. You know, for example, in Asia Pac, uh, Singapore has already set the standards with their SingPass ecosystem. Countries like Thailand, Malaysia, Philippines have already started looking at their own government digital ID frameworks. And I found that a lot of the work that we're doing here and have done here are very applicable in those markets as well. And then we looked at the use cases we are looking you know, to solve, you know, whether it's financial services, you know, um, the, um, uh, the marketplace ecosystem. And we found that a lot of the work that we've done can easily be scaled to these large and growing markets. And I've lived and worked in you know Asia for several years, and I've also lived and worked in you know uh, uh, the U.S. and the U.K. And my vantage point in figuring out you know the best ways to scale this has come in quite useful. And then we went ahead and started establishing presence in different markets. You know, we went to New Zealand, Australia, uh, India, where we set up offices, and now looking to drive this expansion faster in other parts of Asia. Perfect, thank you. Mopo, would you like to uh, share your experience? Yeah, sure. I think the first thing uh, to say is actually that, you know, um, for us, uh, Asia Pacific was always a big part of uh, 
our strategy, you know, to achieve our mission. And uh, I guess that's not too surprising. I mean, Natalie's already alluded to some of the statistics, but, you know, given that uh, we have 60% of the world's population here, um, uh, it, it's obviously key. But um, of course, from a healthcare perspective, um, there's a growing uh, healthcare burden with an aging population across the region and also rising chronic diseases. And so what that means is there's a strong need to rethink healthcare in the region and uh, leverage technologies like AI uh, to really uh, reimagine healthcare um, and provide uh, that care in a different way, uh, similar to the approach that we're taking. Um, and so that allows us to not only improve health outcomes and patient experience, but also helps us to simultaneously reduce costs and the burden being placed on uh, governments and payers. Um, in terms of the markets that we're in here in the region, um, we're in 11 markets. Um, so that includes Malaysia, Hong Kong, Singapore, Indonesia, uh, Vietnam, Philippines, Thailand, Taiwan, uh, Laos, Cambodia, Myanmar, and obviously all very diverse uh, countries, uh, each uh, with their own um, specific needs and our and our sort of plan to sort of roll out to these countries uh, was uh, in line with uh, the partner that we're working with currently here in the region um, but as we now expand our services to our uh, full suite of products and clinical services which we call uh, babylon 360 um, our approach has been to leverage insights uh, and expertise from a range of partners uh, and use a really data-driven approach to drive uh, our future rollout plans we covered market prioritization there, the first step to take uh, in international expansion planning. However, the execution of these plans is often more challenging. What were the main challenges you were faced with when entering these markets and scaling up your business? It would be great if you could share some of the lessons you learned along the way. I think this is a great question. Uh, so as I said before, we, we did a lot of work you know, in the UK to polish the technology to comply with a lot of the regulation that we have here in the UK. And when I first started thinking about, you know, it's about three to four years ago on expansion planning, the first uh, the thing that I considered is really in across these markets, and I mentioned Philippines and Malaysia and Thailand and Singapore, what is the regulation from the government? I mean, that's a, the first point that we start with. We need to understand the regulation and then understand the compliance across the top 10 or 15 regulated businesses, like I mentioned, you know, the banking or financial services, consumer lending, remittances are big in Asian markets and, you know, what kind of regulation drives them. These are all the things that I wanted to have a deeper understanding of, right? And I was really fortunate to have connected with uh, Tech UK and DIT in particular. And I think I can safely say what would have taken me six months or longer, even to sort of get this initial sense of these markets. I think I could do that in the first six or 10 weeks because you know DIT has a established and extensive presence. And I had the opportunity to meet with the local DIT offices and the key representatives for each of the segments. And this helped me enormously to be able to get a much clearer and on the ground understanding of some of the, um, the dynamics playing, you know, in, in, in terms of how the government stances. In some countries like Thailand, we found that there is a very strong public-private partnership, right? I mean, that's a, that's a big factor. 
in the Philippines that you know we understood that the um, while there are seven different modes of identity uh, proofing, including the standard passports and driving licenses, there's also the national identity uh, you know mandate that's coming down. I think, and as we talk to the top ten, top fifteen businesses again, facilitated with DIT. And across, like a, you know, as I mentioned, it's, it's like five or six different countries uh, based on the, you know, the demographics that we identified first. I could really, you know, feel very confident that, yes, you know, with what we have already built here, we can dream bigger than we initially did. And I started working with uh, the local teams and, you know, pre-pandemic, I had the luxury of traveling to different markets and speak to the local businesses and have a good hypothesis and sort of like a playbook that we could adopt uh, to expand. Uh, you know, in summary, we started with, you know, working together with DIT to understand the local regulatory and the business ecosystem and drill down to the use cases, you know, just starting with, uh, like I said, regulated things like telecoms and government and also expanding to other things like retail, uh, which is where we have a very strong solution set. And that has become the initial starting point. Fast forward to today, I can I can say that, you know, in each of these markets, we are working with the top five businesses and, you know, in different stages of deployment, some are in the state of RFPs, some have integrated with our platforms and about to roll out, some have already begun to roll out. And these are all very strong anchor businesses that we have now, you know, aggressively started to scale up. I think this has been a very, very positive and almost like an empowering experience for me uh, in rediscovering the dynamics in some of these Asian markets in close partnership with DIT and Tech UK. Fantastic. Thank you, Madhu. What has Babylon's experience been, Mob? Yeah, I think it's a really interesting question thinking about some of the challenges. And um, I, I think, um, you know, one thing that I think that's really critical uh, is to understand, you know, the markets that you want to enter and, and then really adapting and localizing uh, your products and services to meet the needs of that uh, specific market. So in our case, you know, we had um, uh, amazing AI solutions that we built in-house uh, by our teams in the UK. Uh, but we couldn't just immediately export them to to Asia Pacific, um, and so we had to figure out how to localize the AI. And of course, this doesn't just mean language, but we had to adapt uh, the the AI so that it met uh, the needs of the populations we were serving from a number of different perspectives, whether that be from an epidemiology perspective, uh, for, but but also you know for a clinical guidelines perspective, uh, but also you know considering. Uh, cultural differences, religious differences, um, and so you know that was um, a, a real uh, challenge to think about how to do that at scale across uh, eleven markets. But you know, once you've kind of identified what you need to do and established your methodology, uh, then you know that that sets you on the path to to achieve that. I think the second thing I would say is um, critical to understand. You know, the the regulatory landscape that you are. Uh, entering and um, of course uh, across Asia, um, there's uh, a lot of heterogeneity when it comes to uh, the regulation of uh, digital healthcare products. And so uh, we had to work uh, in a really proactive and collaborative way with 
regulators across the 11 markets um, and in many cases um, you know take them on a journey with us because uh, in some countries like Singapore um, you know it, it's a very mature regulatory environment uh, but some in other, but some other countries um, you know maybe a less mature environment so um, really critical to kind of help inform and educate um, uh, you know those stakeholders uh, and work in a really collaborative way. And uh, I think for, uh, those probably be some of the key things that I would identify from our perspective. You both mentioned the importance of getting a good understanding of local regulatory landscape. Moby also highlighted the importance of localization and uh, getting a good understanding of cultural differences. In fact, we often hear from UK tech businesses who export to the region how um, lack of cultural awareness can impact customer relationship management or even the length of sales cycle. So all these things are really important to factor into expansion planning and execution. And that leads me to my next question. What would be your top steps that businesses listening should take next while they consider or actively move into the region? Could you please share your top two to three tips with our listeners? Sure. Um, I think Mob raised a good point as well in terms of regulation. Uh, one of the things that I would strongly advise uh, everyone, I and mean, we do the same thing ourselves, is you need to understand the local context. And Asian markets are big, they're growing, uh, and lots of uh, excitement. And as Natalie mentioned, lots of new investments a, the first thing is to understand the local context from a regulatory perspective. You know, if you look at Australia, they're coming out with, you know, in our case, right, regulation that determines the digital identity is very important. So, trusted digital identity framework in Australia, or a, you know, digital identity trust framework in New Zealand, that just coming out, and you know, the, the pattern is the same across multiple markets. So, you need to understand that context first. Second is how are the businesses reacting to and adopting or contributing to that? Because that drives how they shape their own digital transformation locally. And we as a business, if we have to be relevant and material part of that journey, these two become primarily important. And then we start working from our perspective, because we're also a trust, you know, um, a trusted digital identity. So we need to figure out what is the local trust route or trust anchor. Is it coming from the government compliance? Is it coming from a large business adopting our platform to start um, you know, educating the local customers? And that sort of thing becomes very important. So our journey has been to sort of do these things and make sure that you um, you know, make, make the necessary investment. In some cases, you know, your platform has to be in the local language. I mean, now our platform is now 10 different languages. Uh, so we almost think behave like a local in the local context. Um, the advantage that you go in with is the technology framework and the technology um, experience. Uh, but what you need to add locally is the business context and what are the things that drive the consumer adoption. If you can do these three or four things well, I think you're setting up yourself very well. And then come your standard you know, uh, customer uh, support and customer care so that you're reacting adequately to the adoption metrics. So I think in terms of key considerations for businesses uh, considering expanding to Asia Pacific, uh, I would say, you know, firstly, consider uh, whether you want to enter alone or with a partner. And 
from from our experience, you know, we chose the latter um, because um, you know we felt that was going to be the best way from benefiting from our partners' uh, local knowledge and expertise. You know, they were already well established in the region, and also to help us understand the nuances of doing business here in the region. Um, but partnering has also really helped us to achieve scale and to achieve scale faster and and something you know that was really important for us due to our mission. Um, I think secondly, I'd say you know use all the help that's available. Uh, it might sound obvious, but um, you know uh, DIT have been fantastic, um, but also you know government agencies. Uh, I'm based in Singapore, so you know for us. Uh, the Economic Development Board (EDB) have been su super helpful, as of many others, uh, and you know engage with local experts to help to really help you understand the market. Um, and then finally, probably I'd say um, you know invest in the right technical advice early, um, you know to avoid kind of costly mistakes. So whether that be financial, legal, or regulatory, I think those it's really important to make those type of investments early, early. And, and sorry, one more, one more point I would also add is, you know, if you're a global organization, um, you know, help your organization understand uh, the diverse needs that uh, of customers here in, 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 in the region, because obviously uh, there's so many wonderful countries all with their own uh, unique needs. And so um, I think that that can be super helpful if you're a global organization. Fantastic, thank you. Let me now ask my final question. We have heard today about the UK's digital trade ambitions in the region and some of the initiatives already launched to drive cooperation between the UK and APAC. What do you hope to see future UK-APAC cooperation to achieve or bring that would make a difference to your business? Shall we, shall we start with you, Madhu? Thank you. Oh, sure. Um, I think this is, again, another great point to talk about. Um, in the digital world that we live in, um, and in our case, particularly the notion of a digital identity that works globally, it's extremely important for us to have interoperability, which means that, you know, standards, you know, that happen here in the UK, how similar are they with the regulatory standards for identity being developed in other parts of the world, in Asia specifically? Uh, are very relevant so that we as a business don't have to reinvent the wheel every time. Uh, fortunately, we see that, you know, whether, you know, it's in Philippines or Malaysia or Indonesia or Thailand or Australia or New Zealand, the approach that the governments are taking is roughly similar in terms of the levels of compliance and the levels of assurance so that a technology platform that we developed is, is, is consistent. So, so that that fosters a, a high degree of interoperability uh, as each of these markets you know, establish their own digital agendas. So that's one thing that we expect to see uh, that will drive the adoption uh, because you know, interoperability drives uh, adoption. Uh, that's one uh, area that I would really uh, uh, would see that you know, uh, movement from a trade agreements perspective. Thank you, Madhu. Yes, and uh, interoperability uh, is something that uh, we strongly advocate for uh, in our digital trade the report at Tech UK. So thanks for actually bringing up that point. Um, Mop, can I go to you uh, next on this one? 
Yeah, sure. Um, so, you know, I think it's fantastic that these uh, initiatives uh, are now taking place. Uh, I think from our perspective, um, you know, it'd be great to see further, um, uh, you know, uh, facilitation uh, for businesses, you know, in, in terms of their pathway for deploying their products or services. And so, you know, whether that be um, uh, the ability to collaborate with um, uh, different stakeholders here, including academic stakeholders uh, with uh, healthcare systems, um, uh, you know, all of that would be very helpful. I think also, um, you know, awareness raising of uh, the standards to which um, digital technology is manufactured in 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 the UK and Europe, um, because I think that would also help in terms of um, providing assurance to. Um, uh, the different markets here across the region. As I mentioned earlier, uh, there's a lot of heterogeneity and, and, and in some cases, um, you know, uh, it's it's uh, at a very nascent stage when it comes to uh, considering regulation for digital technologies. And so I think uh, that's a key role uh, that could be played uh, in terms of that awareness raising and, help, and helping uh, different countries understand um, the standards that we adhere to into the, in, in the UK and, and how they translate uh, to the local populations here, uh, because I think that would really help facilitate market entry and uh, uh, make, make things much easier for companies looking to enter the region. Thank you so much both for joining us today and sharing your APAC export experience. Huge thanks for listening to today's podcast. For those of you listening who would like to find out more about Tech UK's International Trade Programme and the UK APAC Tech Forum, please reach out to me directly at diana.psarska at techuk.org or visit our website at techuk.org. Bye for now.